All right. Well, this feels a little strange. Uh, having spent so much time in the library at home preaching through the monitors, coming in a little bit and then uh, uh, needing to be away. Uh, there's a lot going on, uh, both in our world and in the body of Messiah. And there's a lot going on in our congregation as well. So what I thought I would do today is bridge the series that I did before, which was about the end times. And the series just completed by several of the men of the congregation and bridged that to the series I want to do next week, which is related to the reading about the coming storm, uh, that book that, uh, that we're reading. Um, not that we're entering into the end times, but we're entering into uh, a storm. Now, you know as well as I do that sometimes you see the storm coming. They predict it. Everybody prepares for it. And it just goes right over us, right? And that could happen. So there's nothing we're going to talk about that is certain, but there are likelihoods that I think we need to be prepared for and we need to be preparing our children for in that context. So... um, I'm going to begin that next week, but this week I want to follow up with what uh, Trevor addressed last week as he both complimented the men who had spoken and encouraged all of us to continue maturing in the faith. And I want to speak in broader terms and give the bigger picture of what I'm calling numerical increase and spiritual maturity. These two concepts of numerical increase in terms of church growth and spiritual maturity are often put in juxtaposition to one another. It's a little bit like the taste great, less filling, taste great, less filling. And that's not really an argument because something could be both or neither, right? And sometimes we get into that with numerical growth. Church that's not growing numerically is not a healthy church. A church that's not growing spiritually is not a healthy church. Which is the most important? There are some people who believe that numerical increase is the measure. And there are others who believe that the spiritual maturity is the priority. That really is a battle between evangelism and discipleship in the church. And I think that's a false dichotomy. Um, So I want us to understand that both forms of growth that is, numerical increase, and spiritual maturity are both interrelated and necessary. But there are two systems of those in the scripture, and I want to talk about those. In Genesis 1, 27 to 28, when God created man in his image, in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them, God gave a commandment to humanity. And specifically to Adam and Eve. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And take dominion over the stewardship. Over that that part of the creation. God's first commandment to humanity. Remember his commandment regarding the tree. Was given to Adam and Eve had not yet been created. So this is a general commandment that was given specifically to mankind male and female, uh, to be fruitful and to multiply. And then God repeats that to Noah and his family after the flood 
He then repeats it to Israel several times. And interestingly, in the book of Jeremiah, he repeats it again in the most misquoted passage of the Older Testament, which is, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a future, which was said to diaspora Israel after God said to them, what I want you to do is build houses and get married and get and have your children marry and I want you to increase and not decrease because I know the plans I have for you. In other words, God's plan has always been for humanity to increase in number, particularly his people in that sense. He's talking about a household increase, procreation, having and raising children. Which brings us to the first text that you have listed in the bulletin. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 9. This is the passage that follows the Shema that uh, we recite and is included in that in its longer form. Where God says, these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. That is, you will know them, memorize them. You will teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That's pretty clear that God's intending, he's telling Israel this, That his words are to permeate their lives, forming them and informing them as to how they are to live as God's people. I want to remind you that the people of Israel are the only culture that God specifically designed. The others... We Gentiles scattered, the nation scattered at Babel. We had to kind of work the best out we could. But the, the culture and the way of life and the structure of Israel is by divine commandment so that it would be formed the way God wanted it to be formed. And he says, I want you to diligently teach these ways to your children. So we see here both numerical increase through procreation and spiritual maturity through the diligent instruction of the children, through parenting. This is integral to the households of God's people. And that idea is a constant in the instructions of God to Israel throughout the scriptures. And it's carried over to the Gentile believers who fear the God of Israel and join themselves to the Israel of God. Because Paul admonishes this very same thing in Ephesians and Colossians in his well-known passages about fathers bringing up their children in the admonition and discipline of the Lord. So, to be clear, the primary and continuous plan of God for creating us as male and female is for marriage, procreation, parenting, which is to result in numerical increase and spiritual maturity of God's people. That's why we're focused at the Disciple Center with our emphasis on producing and discipling 
the generations of our children and grandchildren. Now, for this, I am preaching to the choir, right? Uh, that is uh, not something that I've just said that you people don't know and have practiced. But I have read several, several articles this week of this younger generation and specifically the females deciding that they never want to have children. There is a shift that's related to the coming storm uh, that is going on. So uh, it's really important to underscore this. So I want to bring up one more passage. It's... uh, that famous Italian prophet Malachi, you know, Malachi, chapter 2, verse 15. Now this text I'm going to read from the NIV because the NASB is so literal that it's almost incomprehensible. And that's because the Hebrew is pretty incomprehensible if you do it literally at this point. But I think that the NIV and some other translations have done this because they are freer to be less literal and more try to uh, bring the meaning out, uh, have done a good, if you will, amplification of this, of this verse. Has not the one God made you? Uh, some translations say male and female. You belong to him in body and spirit. You can hear Paul say, glorify God in your body, which is his, right? And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The idea here is that the focus of God creating us male and female and giving us marriage and family is for the sake of godly offspring. I'd like to go into more detail for this. I'll do it probably another time. But um, the the scripture is pretty clear in its uh, compassion and its care of those who are unable to reproduce. So much so that in Isaiah, God says that the woman who is not able to reproduce, God is going to give her more children in the, uh, in the community uh, in terms of the kingdom that happens. I, I think that that says something. I can't imagine entering in the kingdom of God and not, not having had Braden and having him with us. In that context, I think that there is something about the generation sitting down together that is lost when this part of the equation is is missing. So, this idea of godly offspring is being lost by many in the younger generation. I think because the boomer generation... Found, uh, the, the generation before that produced the boomers found marriage so difficult and divorce unavailable largely that what they did was they basically told generations to follow, put off marriage and put off children until you're ready and you're never ready. You guys all know that. And the reality is the longer you put it off, the less energy you have to deal with it. 
So there is something about younger families uh, in that context. It brings us now to the second form of numerical increase and spiritual maturing that God intends. I want you to know that the second form does not replace the first. It expands it, but it has the danger of replacing it. And I believe in the church has largely done that. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them. In other words, hear, be not, don't just be hearers, but be doers of the word, Moses is telling them, that your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God whenever we call on Him, as we have heard testimony this morning? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole Torah which I am setting before you today? So Moses is telling Israel, you're going to be a light to the nations. You're going to be an instruction because your culture is created by God to be a light to the nations. And when you do this and when you behave appropriately, when you act in that way, the people around will say there's nobody like this. God certainly is among them. So this is the illumination of Israel or if you will the evangelism that comes out of Israel obeying and doing the word. Now I want you to look at the next verses because this is where this can create a replacement. Verse 9 Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. But make them known to your sons and grandsons. Your children and grandchildren. God says, don't you forget this stuff because you're easy to forget. And don't you let it be forgot in the generations to follow you. I want you to be a light to the world. But I don't want you to do that at the expense of your own soul. Or those of your children and your grandchildren. Israel is to be a light. In their obedience, God will be manifest to the nations who do not know him. That is evangelism. Letting the knowledge of the Lord be expressed in word and deed by God's people to those who don't know him. But he warns them not to forget or lose this in their own life and in the life of their children and their grandchildren. And boy, uh, many of you have family members where the older generation is heartbroken over the condition of the children and grandchildren down there. And part of that is because we turned evangelism into 
issue is or issue ain't God's baby, just say the magic words and we're in trouble with that. Now Jesus continues this when he tells his disciples, as you go, make disciples from the nations, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that I command you. So again, we see numerical increase and spiritual maturation being put together. He didn't say, get people to accept me as Savior so they'll be saved. He told them that you are to disciple them so that they will become the obedient people of God. I want to check something here because I just messed myself up. What we have here is spiritual procreation and parenting discipleship. In other words, it becomes an extension. I think that's why God says about those who are going to be pastors, how have they done with their own children? Because if they can't handle their own household, how will they care for the household of God? In other words, it's an extension, not a replacement. It becomes an outgrowth and parallel to the household procreation and the parenting. Now that is important and I want to talk about the application of that. But before I do that, I want to add one more point. I was worried that Trevor was going to just step all over this last week. We were thinking in the same direction. And so I was glad that he didn't jump into this third part. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and following. The scripture says that he, meaning God, gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints to equip the holy ones, that's the believers, for the work of ministry or service for the goal of building up the body of Christ. It's important that you understand that correctly. He didn't give those people, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, he didn't give them to do all three of those things. He gave them to equip the saints to engage in ministry which would ultimately build up the body of Christ. Now, build up in what way? I believe, numerical increase and spiritual maturity. Paul will emphasize the spiritual maturity here. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We're not even close. Okay, We've still got some work to do. The knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When that happens, he says, we will no longer be children. In other words, here's the maturity idea. Tossed to and fro or here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. There's a lot of challenges to growing in grace and in knowledge because a lot of the voices within the body are false voices. 
but speaking the truth, biblical text, in love, we are to grow up in Him, in all aspects into Him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. In the same way that a child goes from birth to childhood to maturity, joins with another mature person, producing the next child, the body of the Lord, both generationally and in totality, is also coming to maturity. In other words, maturity is not about, okay, I'm mature, you guys catch up. We all have to do this together. We mature in community and we mature as a community. And the pastors and apostles are there to help assist in equipping people to be able to do their ministry. Now, I've, I've grown up at a time and I've watched people who believe that the purpose of the laity is to facilitate the clergy in doing the work of the ministry. That is so wrong as to be laughable, but it is our business model. The reality is the pastoral ministry is parental to the equipping of the saints for their work in participation in ministry for the building up of the body in love. That's really what we're supposed to be about. So birth, both physical and spiritual, begins a process of maturity through parents and community that encompasses all believers that we come in contact with and ultimately culminates in the kingdom to come when all God's people will share in resurrection the glory of His kingdom and be conformed to the image of His Son. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to even put that on uh, our post because I want you to catch this. Birth, both physical and spiritual, begins a process of maturity through parents and community, which encompasses all believers that we come in contact with and ultimately culminates in the kingdom to come when all God's people share in the resurrection, the glory of the kingdom, and the full image of of God's Son. We were created in the image of God. We're being recreated in the new creation that will be in the image of God's Son. So, what about the application? So what? Right? What do we do with this? Right? The Disciple Center grew out of a frustration that much of the faith had dwindled into what I call layaway Christianity. You know, I said the magic words, I'm on layaway until the rapture kind of thing. And so I can kind of live my own life, live my own purpose, and do my own thing while I'm waiting for the Lord to come. Where maturity and discipleship became shallow terms, small little programs, and optional. We wanted a household-based community of faith where the children and grandchildren of our families could be discipled in the homes and reinforced in the congregation. And I believe we have done that and we need to continue to do that. 
The reason I say that with confidence, if we were judging ourselves, I don't think we could trust that. But there have been too many visitors, mature believers in Messianic Judaism and Christianity that have seen this congregation in action, both in this place and out and about, and testify of you that you are a different level of believer. So I think we've done well. I'll let it go to your head. We, we still have to continue, right? Secondly, we wanted a congregation that maintained a knowledge and relationship with Judaism and the Israel of God. Not a replacement, but a coming alongside. I think we've done that fairly well as well. We need to continue that. The um, opportunities for that, I think, will increase in the months and years ahead. And so uh, that, that's also, I think, encouraging to see that we are growing in, in that process. We wanted a participatory congregation where in the liturgy and in life, we would become doers of the word and not hearers only. We have certainly done that. Your participation in the prayers and in the readings, in the liturgies, in the opening of the arts and the doing this has increased. And I suspect it will increase uh, even more. Uh, and this last series of the men uh, really uh, showed that. I want to talk about that in a minute. We wanted to connect with other believers who were seeking a similar faith walk in their lives and households. And I think we've done that as well because we have seen people join us who became friends of some of you and then became friends of all of us in that context. Uh, but I think we did this to a lesser extent and we need to find ways to do it uh, more intentionally. Now I watched because I was here for almost all of them and I watched the rest on video. I watched with almost parental pride as several of the men of this congregation ministered to the congregation over the summer. Uh, Trevor and I have talked about this several times. Those messages were authentic. They were biblical. They were helpful. They weren't filling space. And some of them opened subjects that needed to be opened that probably wouldn't have been opened otherwise. It demonstrated a maturity in this congregation that I believe would survive the loss or disruption of the congregation. I once told Cheryl, I may have told Bruce, as they were getting older, you can stay with us as long as you want. But I need to know that I can have a heart attack and die and you're going to be okay. In other words, I want you to be able to stand on your own. If the Lord took me out today, this congregation would go on. So I have no doubt that the maturity that we sought is emerging in this place. 
I believe that we're ready to continue this with regular member participation, both men and women. That was mentioned last week. Because remember that Paul says when a woman prays or prophesies, she should have her head covered. Talking about a wife there. Uh, The husband should pray or prophesy without that. The scripture says when God pours his spirit on us, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Now the word prophesy there doesn't mean they're going to foretell the future. It means they're going to proclaim the word of God. And while it's not appropriate for a wife to usurp authority over her husband in that process, and that's what I believe Paul talks about in there, he fully says you may all do that, that you may all be edified. And so I think a greater participation is uh, possible. And of course, the pastors are supposed to monitor that to make sure that it doesn't get out of hand or inappropriate. Prayer and prophecy, as Paul is talking about them, could easily be translated liturgy and instruction and encouragement. I'll talk more about that later. So in the coming weeks, we're going to look at the gathering storm. We're going to look at the challenges of our present age that foreshadow, in some sense, things that we talked about that will happen in the end times. The challenge will be against our understanding, our understanding of marriage, gender, family, sexuality, and parenting. And we're going to have to discuss this because your children are in a world that none of us have known. And we are not going to be able to isolate them. We're going to have to immunize them. And strengthen them in the faith. But we're going to have to face some other challenges. Some of our families may relocate. Just saying. Some of the children are going to marry and move away. Moms, get ready for that. Some families, like my own, may face disability circumstances that prevent much of their participation. Pastor Mike knows that as well. Some of us are aging and are moving towards the evil days. May the Lord keep them far, far away. As Paul says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors to the one who loves us. None of that separates us from the love of God. should never be a faith crisis. The only people who have a faith crisis in bad circumstances are the people who think their faith prevents bad circumstances. But faith holds you through the circumstances because God will never leave us nor forsake us. And the very thing that should comfort us is ripped away from those people. So we have to, be, we have to watch for that among our brothers and sisters that we can encourage them. This is not a sign of God rejecting you. Trust Him in the dark. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
Now each of you in your household is a seed of a havara or a house church. And if you end up isolated and you can't find a larger community to be part of, you can do that with your own household and the people that you get to know. Some of you also will be in kind of that havara or house church thing within the context of the DC or maybe another congregation uh, where you find yourself. There is a maturity in the disciple center. And I don't believe that it's here simply to exist in isolation. So we have to be open to ministry opportunities wherever they are and wherever we might end up. Now, I'm not sending anybody away, and I'm not leaving. Okay? You know, you can do these kind of sermons. People go, is this resignation? No. No. I'm resigned no longer to linger. Right? I'll stick around. That's not the issue. Some of our congregation, though, may end up having to leave. We've had some who have done that, some of our mature believers. We can bring more believers to us, and we can reach new people for the Lord, and we can mature them. We know how now. We know how. You are equipped to do that. I don't think there is one man who spoke whose household couldn't be a church plant in any place in the world. And I know church planters because I've been working with them for years and years. There was a maturity and a clarity and a communication that is as good as any of the uh, young men who are starting congregations. Maybe better than, than many of them. So... Those who go from us can bring the influence and the equipping of the disciple center to other parts of the body. So we've got a lot to do while we wait for the Lord to return. And I wish he'd return tomorrow, but I don't think he's going to. So we've got time to, to continue. But I did want to, before we go on and look at some of the challenges commend every one of the men who stood in this place. Some fear and trembling. Some wondering, why did I say yes? I get, I get all of that. But it was a sanctifi sanctification of the Lord in your lives that I think manifested that what has been happening in the Disciple Center as an act of God, uh, has prepared us to move into the present challenges. We have not been just sitting in isolation. We have been in our own wilderness. And now we're ready to enter into a broader area of ministry to the body, to the Lord, and to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word.